Hello, and welcome back to the Highway to Hoover podcast, presentation of SEC Extra. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Etheridge, my partner over at SEC Extra, Mark Etheridge. We are continuing our SEC Team Preview podcast series. Today, we're going to talk about the Texas A&M Aggies. Quite a story, obviously, in 2022, a quick turnaround under Jim Schlossnagel and his staff. Ended up in Omaha last year. We will get into that in just a moment, but before we do that, I have to let you know that the Highway to Hoover podcast is brought to you by, and will be all season, by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Mark and I and the rest of the D1 gang are super excited about our partnership at SEC Extra with Brock's Gap Brewing Company. We've got some exciting things coming as a part of this partnership down the pike. Nothing to announce just yet, but stay tuned for all of that. Mark and I are excited to spend a little time there at the SEC tournament, perhaps. Beautiful tap room just right basically in the parking lot of the Hoover Met. So if you, Aggie fan listening or just general SEC fan listening, are going to be at the SEC tournament, we highly recommend that you pop on over to Brock's Gap Brewing Company. We're just really excited about that partnership. Happy to have them on board. Mark, the Aggies, uh, like I alluded to, quite the turnaround. They go from a tough 2021 season. Rob Childress, a lot of success at AM. Certainly can't take anything away from him in that regard. He, in his own right, engineered a turnaround at Texas A&M towards the end of their time in the Big 12 before coming over to the SEC. And then, but ultimately it was a program in need of a jumpstart again. Jim Schlossnagel comes over from TCU and voila, they were significantly better last year. A team largely built through the transfer portal. And I think Mark, what's interesting about that team for me is that it did in the big picture, it feels like create a little bit of a blueprint. Not like anybody was maybe not so sold on the transfer portal that maybe changed their mind. But I do think A&M did show that you can spin up a roster out of the transfer portal and there's really not necessarily, if you find the right guys and they did find just the perfect combination of guys to plug all the holes. If you find the right guys, you can put together a roster that can succeed at the highest levels. A couple points there. If you're going to make a move on a coach that was as successful as Rob Childress, you better have the right guy waiting in the wings. And obviously they did, bringing in Josh, who's been successful everywhere he's been. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is it's a diff- different way to recruit and roster, build your roster these days because you can go out and, and cherry pick, right? And find guys, hey, I really need a second baseman. I really need a third baseman. I really need a left-handed reliever. And you can go out and find these guys that – where in the past, maybe you could get a JC guy, but even that was you're recruiting a year and a half in advance sometimes. Or, you know, a high school kid who you really don't know when you re- when you were recruiting him, how he's going to develop. Now, it's almost like a free agent, right? You can go out and get a guy and plug him into your lineup, and you have a track record, maybe not at the same level, but you have some idea how he's going to re- respond to D1 pitching. And that's, to me that you're going to see now that this has been successful with A&M, that's going to be modeled all over. And we've seen some of that in the SEC this year. But yeah, it's just one of those programs that that they have everything they need to, to win the whole thing. It's just a question of getting a little bit of luck and being able to produce at a level that meets those expectations. In some ways, A&M walked so that LSU could run when it comes to the transfer portal. I think we talked about this on the LSU episode, but AM built in the portal in a certain way. Yes, they shopped for high-end players, guys who could be all conference types, and they got one like Dylan Rock, 
who was really good last year, and Jack Moss, who's back. They did that, but also they were shopping for role players or guys who were marginal improvements over what they did. And again, I don't think Jay Johnson would have, he was going to do what he was going to do. He recruited out of the transfer portal pretty heavily in his first year at LSU, brought over obviously Jacob Berry from Arizona, most notably, but they took that model and said, okay, but what if we shopped the whole store? So A&M really, it, it did feel light, lit a path for everyone to, to look at and say, if you do this right, there's really no limit on how well you can do it if you do it right. So this roster, a little bit differently. They still did some portaling, but clearly they the roster is in a better place now than it was at this time last year. So a lot less of it. So let's uh, let's use that as a segue to jump into talking about the Aggies. And so if you're just joining us, if you're an A&M fan and this is your only episode you've listened to, or if you're just jumping into the series now, here's how it'll work. After a quick intro, Mark and I will take turns talking about the things we like about the team the questions we have about the team, and then what has to happen for the team to be the best version of itself. So A&M last year, 44 and 20 overall, 19 and 11 in the SEC. That was the best record in the SEC West, which was really the first, as they started to make that move, that was really the first hint of, oh, this is not just a team that is going to be a nice story and make a regional. This is a team that could be a lot more than that. And obviously they were because they made it to Omaha. They were in the final four at the College World Series. And then this year we have them ranked number five in the preseason. So let's talk about what we like about this team. I will jump in. For me, it's the returning lineup core. It's Jack Moss and Austin Bost and Trevor Werner, who was really good last year when he was healthy, but struggled with his health. Brett Minnick, Ryan Targotch. That's a pretty solid core of guys who are really productive. It's not the flashiest core. There's not a someone in that group who is a first round pick waiting to happen. There's not a Dylan Cruz. There's not a Jacob Gonzalez in terms of that kind of pedigree, but those are all just really good college baseball players and specifically really good hitters. That was where A&M's bread was buttered last year was just a tenacious lineup one through nine. There weren't holes in it. And every single guy, not only could beat you, but every single guy in that lineup just put up a really difficult at bat to the point where you know they, they were a team that irritated other fan bases because it wasn't just that they were good and they were going to beat your team in a lot of cases it was also that their games took four hours wow. because they would wear down the opposing pitching and foul off pitches and take pitches and put plays on offensive like, there was just a lot of their individual at bats seemed to take forever sometimes and so and that kind of has knock-on effects right because that doesn't just wear a team down in terms of makes you cycle through pitching but it also wears you down because you're just you're defensively you're just standing out there for a long time and it, you lose focus and it just starts to become this fatiguing thing this very draining thing so bringing back a lot of that lineup i think is a huge deal for AM. Yeah. Mark, what about you? It sounds like you're reading my notes here, but I am actually, yes, I can see your but, screen. Yeah, I just love how offensive that this lineup was last year and appears to be this year again. I didn't love how long their games took, but I loved what they did once they got into your bullpen and they just mashed those pitchers. They really did. It's and it's a program approach, right? This isn't one or two guys doing this. This is throughout the lineup. And when you bring in guys or pinch hitters, 
they're still following the same approach as well. So it's just when you can do that and you can force teams to work, that's this is one of the best lineups in the country, I think. And you add in the pieces that they've added with freshmen, with transfers. I mean, it's this is again going to be one of the one of the lineups that nobody you better pack pack a lunch because you're gonna be there a while. You're going to throw a lot of pitches, and they're going to make you work. And if you make mistakes, they're going to make you pay. No doubt about that. Let's talk about questions. So I'll preface this by saying I like... Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Turn your screen away. I don't want to step on your toes anymore than I already have. I like the high-end arms they have, so I will say that as a positive. Nathan Detmer, Chris Cortez, Troy Wansing, Will Johnson out of the bullpen. The question for me is does that end up making a cohesive pitching staff? I have a pretty high level of confidence. Obviously, Nate Yeski, their pitching coach, is one of the absolute best in the game. So there's a high level of confidence there. But that being said, you can go through it. And Nathan Detmer, that the reports on him from the fall and early spring practice are excellent. But we're talking about a guy who put up a 499 ERA last year. He was a workhorse. He was exactly what AM needed in the rotation last year. That's not to take anything away from him. But that number is obviously going to have to come down for him to be a dude of dudes in the SEC, which he has the stuff to be. But Chris Cortez was pretty good last year in his role. He's got a really good arm. But can he be a number two or a number three in the rotation and be solid? Same thing Troy Wensing, like for Purdue. You transfer from Purdue has really good stuff. It didn't equal him being putting up great numbers last year at Purdue. How much of a jump does he make this year? I think there are enough questions in that unit that I think it is right to question that part. I don't question the talent. I don't question the arms. I don't even really question that they'll get the best out of them. It's just to what degree do they get excellent pitching out of the excellent talent? So I think that was one of the things that last year was papered over a little bit is is that the pitching staff was good and not great. They got some really great performances. They couldn't have gotten to Omaha without Jacob Palish in the bullpen. And that is a question I have too, is where do his innings go? And Detmer stepping up in the way he did was huge for that team. They had some other good performances along the way, but it wasn't a pitching staff that stacked up with a lot of the rest of the SEC in terms of having real horses. For AM to be a national title contender this time around, as we start to, I don't want to go too much further than that because it starts to leak into us talking about what they have to do yes, to be the best version of themselves. But that to me is the question is how much of a cohesive pitching staff do they make out of these high end arms? Yeah, good points. I think for me, it's this is year two. Okay. Year one, it makes sense to bring in a lot of transfer guys. Okay. Everybody's new, the coaches are new, the players are new, a lot of people don't know each other. Year two, it becomes a little more it becomes a little more challenging. Okay. You had you already have your foundation established, or you, you hope to, and now you're also bringing in a whole bunch more transfers. Or how does that work cohesively with your clubhouse? Right? Or is this just the new norm and everybody get on board or else? Or is there some it's really hard to go out and bat a thousand on transfers and do it two years in a row, and eventually the odds catch up with you. So maybe they pick the right guys again, and I'm certainly not going to to challenge them. But I do see how that can become more challenging through year after year to to make those proper evaluations, not just on the field, but off, right? You covered the pitching. That was the other part I was going to cover. But I think for that, that to me is all new. 
because we really haven't been through this before. So it's a fascinating study for them, for LSU, for Kentucky, for a lot of programs that are bringing in their share of transfers. One other thing I, I meant to mention too, as far as questions goes, is they are in an interesting catching situation. They're almost in the identical situation to where Tennessee was last year, where right down to the fact that last year, Tennessee brought in a transfer catcher, Matt McCormick from West Virginia, who was thought to be the heir apparent there. And then he stepped away from baseball and that kind of put him in a bind. Texas A&M brought in Joe Powell from Cincinnati as a transfer. He stepped away from baseball. The difference being A&M does have some talented guys coming in. J.D. Gregson, Hank Bard, a couple of junior college transfers. Max Coffer was an early enrollee freshman. So they've got some talented pieces there. I think they'll figure it out, but that is a little bit of a storyline there to watch with A&M as the catching position. So as far as what this team needs to have happened to be the best version of itself. I, I think it's as simple for me as Cortez wanting or someone else to be a credible yeah. starter in the rotation behind Detmer. Cause I, I see mm-hmm. the jump coming from Detmer. If you made me bet, I'm putting my money on Detmer making that jump for me though. It's about does one of those other two guys or more or both end up being a consistent five, six, even seven inning starter on Saturdays and Sundays. I think that could really take the ceiling for A&M to the next level. Yeah. And for me, it's a lot of the same. The rotation has to hold its own against these other contenders that we're talking about. The LSU, the Tennessee, Florida, the, those kind of Ole Miss, those kinds of teams on paper, they look behind those teams. But the ability is there. They're high in talent. I think for A&M to get where they want to go, and honestly, they're a national championship content. They just need some elevation there, not just it, not just Denver. They need everybody, right? They need every everyone who's in those key roles to step to step up higher, and because that's where the competition is, right? So that that to me is the, what I, I think is necessary for them to not just get to Omaha, but to be a really contender once they get there. Truly one of the harsh realities of the SEC for these teams is that you're dealing with other national title contenders within your own conference just to have the right to end up playing for the national, for the national. You have to just mm-hmm. go through that gauntlet. But that's true of all these teams, but you're right about the standard is so high for the teams they're going to be playing that the standard is what it is. We'll certainly be watching year, year two. You mentioned it. Where mm-hmm. does this program go from here? And that will be what we will be watching in 2023. That is going to do it for this episode of the Highway to Hoover podcast presented by Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.